1: Across the country, progressive-minded prosecutors have faced pushback from police departments. Generally, police departments have resisted change. In St. Louis, issues around police accountability and racial bias came into sharp relief after Michael Brown Jr. was shot and killed by a Ferguson police officer nine years ago. The ensuing protests highlighted the distrust that many Black residents have of police and the courts. In the years that followed, Kim Gardner became a voice for change and ran for St. Louis Circuit Attorney. She won and took office in 2017. She was elected again, but resigned earlier this year amid myriad issues. The conflict between prosecutors and police is the main focus of a new article co-written by Jeremy Kohler of ProPublica and Ryan Krull of the Riverfront Times. The headline, A detective sabotaged his own cases because he didn't like the prosecutor. The police department did nothing to stop him. Jeremy Kohler joins us today. Jeremy, welcome back to Seeing This on the Air.
0: Thanks so much for having me on.
1: So the detective, let's start with that. Who is this detective? Um, He's the central figure. Tell us about him.
0: Yeah, Roger Murphy was a St. Louis police officer. Uh, graduated from the police academy in nineteen ninety five. Uh, became a detective in two thousand seven, and then about four years later, uh, was got the one of the plum assignments in the police department, which was to be a, a homicide detective in the homicide unit. Mm-hmm. And so, for um, for eight years, he handled you know several homicides per year, um, and um, until. Uh, the middle of 2019 when it was discovered that um, when some of his, a, a racist Facebook post that he had made two years earlier was uh, was exposed by a group called Plain View Project and posted on a database. And the circuit attorney uh, Kim Gardner became aware of this post as well as several others and added, these detectives to her exclusion list.
1: So before we get through, there's so many things there uh, to talk about. But there is a, a bit of audio that we'd like to uh, to air because it is something that Roger Murphy himself received, and it was from a prosecutor in the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office. And this is also how your piece in ProPublica opens.
0: I understand if you have an issue with Kim, that's fine. But uh, this is a murder case, and we kind of need you. And we we can minimize your involvement if that's what makes you happy. We can keep it to uh, as as little as possible, and we can get you in and out. And I'd like to accommodate that if possible. Uh, But we do need you, so please give me a call.
1: And that, again, was a voicemail that was sent to Roger Murphy in 2021. Now, this voicemail, it sounds like there's some placating happening. What was Roger Murphy getting this voicemail for?
0: What was the situation surrounding it? Well, the situation was that uh, Kim Gardner placed him on her exclusion list in 2019. Um, But it was clarified to him that that meant you couldn't bring new cases to us, but we still want you to cooperate and testify in the in the active cases that you have in the office he had been the lead detective in you know multiple uh, cases that were heading toward trial at that time um, but but roger murphy refused to do that he said if you're going to put me on the exclusion list then i'm not going to cooperate in these cases and so that voicemail was a voicemail from a prosecutor sai chigarapati a well-known prosecutor in st louis city circuit court um, begging him to put his differences aside. We need you to testify in this trial. Put your differences aside. This is a really bad guy. We need to get him off the street. Mm -hmm.
1: What was that case about, Jeremy?
0: This was a case um, of a a gentleman named Larry Keck uh, who was found beaten to death in his own bed in November of 2018. And a a man named Brian Vincent, um, who had lived there and had a romantic relationship with him, was uh, arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Um, he was the only suspect that was—they that was they, they zeroed in on him very quickly at the, at the start. Um, and um, Brian, uh, a few weeks after that voicemail was left, Vincent went to trial and was acquitted.
1: And do we have any sense as to whether Murphy's refusal to testify led to that acquittal?
0: We tried really hard to test that uh as you probably know uh, when uh, when a trial ends in an acquittal all of the records become confidential we could not get a transcript of the trial um, we couldn't even really get ju- the jurors names but we got we got a database of juror pay and we were able to triangulate some of the jurors who had served and um, two that were willing to be quoted in the story. One of them said it it just didn't make sense to him that the lead detective of the case was not there. The case had a lot of problems, but there wasn't like somebody to guide them through what actually happened Mm -hmm. at the trial. To present that, the narrative. Correct.
1: Right. Now, one of the things with this story that really stood out, I mean, first of all, in the, the title of it, it starts with a detective, which is part of the reason we're beginning with that now. But the story paints a picture or portrait of Roger Murphy. What was the overall impression of Murphy that you and your co-author Ryan Krull wanted people to get before sort of diving into uh, the meat of the story?
0: Well, Roger really saw himself as this righteous renegade. He likened himself to the the tank man in Tiananmen Square standing in front of a a column of communist tanks. Um, He really feels... That he did something right. In fact, he read the story yesterday and texted me to say, "Great job." <laughs> yes. um, he his his viewpoint came across loud and clear in the story, um, and I think what we wanted to get across was that this was he was allowed to do this in the police department. He was this you know they they have a they have a, uh, a tr- an internal charge called conduct unbecoming. He was never charged with that. Um, for two years, he continued to work. He was moved out of homicide, but he continued to work in the department handling cases. Was actually moved back to the South Patrol Detective Bureau, investigated cases that the department would have known would not go forward.
1: Mm-hmm. So he was good at investigative work, right? He
0: he. I came away. I listened. Thanks to Roger, who provided us with all of this great material for our story. I was able to listen to his interrogations, and and um, he is very thorough. Um, and when you when you look back on some of the cases he handled, I talked to um, people in the community who had dealt with him who had nothing but great things to say about him. he was thorough um, he was kind, he was fair um, and so you you'd match that up against an officer who's willing to have people you know walk on these cases that he had arrested
1: mm-hmm. and that was because of some interpersonal tension and conflict right I mean at what point in his career did did that turn sort of happen um, and one of the things that that is in this piece too is that he was somewhat temperamental that he didn't necessarily get along well with others that he had accused colleagues of you know taking things from his desk. So how did this, the interpersonal tension part of it sort of play into the the turn that his career took?
0: Uh, Roger, as near as I can tell, Roger Murphy started to get really uncomfortable during the the time period that we had in St. Louis where there were a lot of street protests about police brutality. And he was making a lot of comments in the office about this. Um, He made a lot of comments about Bruce Franks. Um, And of course, um, Heather Taylor... You know another well-known figure. She was a sergeant. She was a supervisor in the homicide unit. Um, she was also head of the Ethical Society of Police, the the union that represents several minority police officers in the police department. Um, took issue with some of his comments, and then he made complaints about Heather Taylor to his supervisors too. So he he was really pushing back on the idea that people were bringing forward that you know that there was racism in the police department. He was he was. Uh, pushing back very strongly against that idea. And I think he just got more and more outspoken about it.
1: Mm-hmm, over time. Now, Murphy clearly did not get along with now former circuit attorney Kim Gardner. Tell us why.
0: <laughs> he he says that she and um, other black leaders uh, he, that he's named, Tashara Jones, um, um, Heather Taylor, have created an atmosphere where police officers are the enemy, and um, and so he was standing up against that.
1: Mm-hmm. And to what extent are you aware of that being a, a sentiment that is shared? Did you talk with other officers who who also express the same feelings?
0: Yeah, that that has been a widespread sentiment in among St. Louis police for you know f- for pretty much the entire tenure of Kim Gardner's. Career here, mm-hmm. um, and that um, she was against them,
1: right? And even before that, because there was that there was a, a couple of years before Kim Gardner was elected to circuit attorney. Um, do you recall anything about there being discussion about that before, for example, you know the protests um, around the the killing of Mike Brown?
0: Yeah, this has just been a theme that's been in our community for a long time mm-hmm. that police feel. Um, that they are being blamed for um, a lot of society's ills and that they are not allowed to be real police officers. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, your story did spend a good amount of time going through the story of Kim Gardner, and it is a a very complicated one. We've talked about this quite a bit um, on our show. Kim Gardner quit in May 2023. How was it, though, that the animosity between Murphy and Gardner began? Um, and did it start with the exclusion list, or was there kind of some, some backstory to
0: that? Well, Roger's Roger Murphy's Facebook post was in 2017, uh, and it was an aerial photo of some, some crowds protesting the Jason Stockley decision. Remember, Jason Stockley was a police officer who had been charged with murder in a case, and was acquitted. Mm-hmm. And there were protests at that time, and Roger Murphy's Facebook post said, referred to the protesters as supporting a thug, um, and also referred to Kim Gardner using kind of a rap name, Kimmy G, and and um, this was you know this was placed then two years later on the, uh, the the Plainview Project website, and that's what presumably got it to Kim Gardner's attention. Mm-hmm. So his comments had dated back at least two years before the exclusion list existed. Right.
1: no. Then in 2019, that is when Kim Gardner added Murphy mm-hmm. to a list of officers who would not be allowed to apply for criminal charges. So you talked about the social media posts. That list itself, how many other names were on it? How big was it?
0: We don't know exactly how large it was. I think that there were maybe 28 to start when the, the original list came out in 2018. And then she added 22 names in June of 2019. And that at some point later on, she added some other names. Um, we can only surmise that names were added or subtracted depending on different factors through the years. Um, so I would say... You know, at least seventy-five to eighty at one point. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if there was a high point, but the the names, the, the the names, the individuals were never identified um, through uh, by either Gardner's office or the police department.
1: Oh, okay. So then, this list too. I mean, was it public? How how did this come to
0: light? It it was not public, um, and this kind of re- represents um, one of the central points of our story. Um, some prosecutors have created these lists to sort of preemptively remove uh, officers from prosecutions mm-hmm. it, where they where they feel that there is going to be a credibility gap. Mm-hmm. Um, some cities have done this in a way that is public. Uh, recently, we saw in Cook County in Chicago, um, the state's attorney, Kim Fox, published her, uh, what's called a Brady List. Brady is a, a Supreme Court decision that requires prosecutors to provide exculpatory evidence to the defense mm-hmm. um, uh, in in some in some other areas of the country they're not public um, and so it, it, every prosecutor has sort of you Different know ways has,
1: of going about it
0: in, including our, our our new circuit attorney Gabe Gore does not have a list at all mm-hmm. he um, he acknowledges that there is a requirement To provide the defense with exculpatory evidence in cases, but it's up for the police department to disclose that case by case, Mm -hmm. he said. Yeah.
1: Now, when Roger Murphy discovered that he found out he was on this list, um, first of all, how is it that he found out?
0: He got an email from um, from uh, higher up in the department notifying him that they'd heard from the circuit attorney's office that day, and he was on the list, and he was. Uh, no longer welcome in the in the warrant office to bring charges and that any case he had pending would be reviewed
1: Mm -hmm. and here is how Roger Murphy responded when he found out he was on that list I chose that since you're not gonna play fair you know I'm only gonna do do what I can
0: do to protect myself uh, and not not cooperate with your office any longer
1: so Murphy's being on this list doesn't mean that he couldn't testify, right?
0: That was clarified very close to the beginning. Um, if you recall, Morley Swingle was a prosecutor in Kim Gardner's office. Um, he reached out to Rachel Smith, who was uh, uh, an officer in in Kim Gardner's office, and, and uh, clarified that they did want he that he could. He was not on the bad tier of the list, and that they did need him to testify in his in his pending cases.
1: But he decided not to.
0: He decided not to. He said he uh, that he would open himself up in every trial to the defense, asking him questions about the um, his removal from homicide, his Facebook posts, and and then it would create the trial would become more about him.
1: Mm-hmm. If we step away from him, more broadly speaking, what were the effects of this this exclusion list, Jeremy? Uh,
0: more broadly than him, uh, I don't know, and that's you know I don't have X-ray vision into the police department and the circuit attorney's office, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think the public really realizes how how closed the system is. We don't. You can't get records of active police investigations. You can't get. The records, if someone's been acquitted or if someone has been, you know, if they drop charges against someone, all these become sealed files. Um, You know, we tried to get the transcript in the Brian Vincent trial. You know, that became a closed record, Um, and so um, we don't really. I I I I couldn't say, you know, the the total effect of the exclusion list. Mm -hmm. Two years before (laughs) I started working on this story. I, sp- I tried very hard to get a copy of the exclusion list to find out what was happening with those officers. You know, if there are 80 officers in the department saying that they had 950 active officers and they had 80-something excluded, then what were they doing, Yeah. you know? And um, the police department wouldn't give me the list, you know, citing personnel reasons. Um, Kim Gardner's office wouldn't give me the list. I don't even think they gave me a reason. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, you know, what were these, all, did, did they have them on desk jobs? Were they just sending them out to report, you know, yeah. to to take reports? There's
1: a lot of question marks here. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here, but we will pick up with this conversation after um, after that break. This is Louis on the Air on Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. So before the break, we were talking about questions. What did happen? What didn't happen? Who was doing what? Uh, we know something about what Roger Murphy was doing. With Roger Murphy on this exclusion list, here's what he said his workdays consisted of.
0: I'd come in at six o'clock in the evening and I'd watch Amazon Prime or I'd watch Netflix or I'd watch Hulu or whatever. You're paying me at that time $61,000 a year plus benefits to sit there and watch T V
1: So Jeremy, did Murphy seem proud of the way he conducted himself when you talked with him?
0: Yeah, he felt like he was right. He the the time that he was streaming movies on Amazon Prime was the summer of of uh of nineteen when he had been placed on the exclusion list, but he was still in homicide, mm-hmm. and the homicide commanders, were, it, it was he couldn't, you know, he he couldn't be involved in any active case at that point, he because it would complicate any case, um, and so they didn't really know what to do with him, and so for those few months, he would, he, according to Roger Murphy, he would come to work and stream movies, mm-hmm. and he was transferred, right? He was transferred out to a district. Um, uh, it's not a demotion in, in St. Louis City. Uh, det- detectives have are essentially the rank of p- patrol, and so you're when you're not a detective, you know, if you're sent to patrol, you're just a police officer. Mm-hmm. But he was issued a regular uniform, and 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 he had a partner, and he would responding to radio calls on, on in that first district.
1: Yeah, I mean, why isn't it that the police department, like, why didn't they reprimand him? I mean. Isn't testifying part of a, a detective's job? Uh,
0: i it, I would love it if the police department would answer that question. i don't I don't know the answer to that.
1: Mm-hmm. And you've asked more than once right they, they, they,
0: they just did not, did not respond to me
1: so, insofar as how Murphy was doing this, um, either watching things just to pass the time and then, you know, actively not testifying. What was the scale of murphy's so-called you know sabotage? How many cases are we talking about here?
0: he there were nine cases that he refused to testify in um, and um the we talked about the Brian Vincent case that ended in an acquittal. Um, there were a number that ended in plea deals, and the story talks about we talked to the prosecutors involved in those plea deals and they 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 say their hands were tied you know mm-hmm. they they sure they could subpoena Roger Murphy into court, um, even get a body attachment, make him come to court. But then you have the jury sees a very unhappy witness who doesn't remember. You know he says he's gonna not remember anything when you bring him there, and so that that, that would probably torpedo the trial. Mm-hmm. So they didn't do that. Then what they tried to do was make a, a plea agreements in a number of these cases, mm-hmm. um, and and you know and, and in fairness. Um, not all of these people may have been convicted of first degree murder. We don't know what would have right, happened. They could have right. gone to trial, and been acquitted. They could mm. have um, they could have dropped charges. They could have plead pled down to other charges. You know, based on other factors. Yeah. Um, in fact, there were there were other factors in all of these cases. But you know, in in at least the cases that we talked about, the prosecutor said, you know, taking these ca- this case to court would have been like playing chicken.
1: Mm-hmm. So he, Roger Murphy, that is, he did testify once in court. So he was selective about how he was doing this. Why was it that he decided to testify in that one case?
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. The case was uh, handled by the state attorney general's office. And of course, the attorney general at that time was very critical of Kim Gardner. And um the state, the AG handled that case because there was a conflict. Somebody in Gardner's office had a conflict, and so the whole office just was conflicted out. Um, and also, um, one of the victims of the homicide, uh, her brother, was a police officer. So mm-hmm. Rogers felt, felt a special duty to cooperate in this case because Gardner wasn't involved and it was a police family.
1: Mm-hmm. And what was it that legal experts said to you about? Roger Murphy's
0: actions—that um, it was absurd, um, that his reasoning was—you uh, know—that he that he he took an oath to, pr- to protect the public and violated that oath. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that's the the bottom line of what I heard from from legal experts. Right. I um, I did speak with one who said he could understand why an officer who was placed on the exclusion list and was branded as a racist, would not want to cooperate. Mm-hmm. But he said the police department should have made him do, made him cooperate. Right. Or the circuit attorney should have uh, subpoenaed him into court mm-hmm. and made him testify.
1: So given that people do not exist in vacuums, like others are seeing what Murphy is doing, did anyone else in the department take things um, in the direction Murphy did or as far as he did?
0: I couldn't find anyone in the country who took things as far as he did. Mm.
1: Why do you think he felt he could do that here?
0: <laughs> Probably because he could. He, you know, he he sees um, the lack of discipline that he received as a tacit approval for what he was doing. If mm-hmm. you know, he was standing up to Gardner,
1: yeah. No, you had a, a second day story that came out today. What was the focus of that one?
0: Yeah, I wanted to put what was going on here in a national context. Um, Kim Gardner is not the only prosecutor who came into office, you know, talking about accountability for police and decriminalization of petty crimes and things like that. And a lot of those prosecutors all around the country have faced opposition, sometimes fierce. Um, Mm -hmm. So we talked to um, uh, the state's attorney in, in Cook County, Kim Fox, and and. Really focused on, um, you know, there's a there's a police blog that refers to her as Crime Isha, mm-hmm. sort of a play on crime and a, a play on her name on, on on what they feel is a kind of a, a racial a racialized name. Sure, sure. Um, her last name is Fox with two X's, and it's sometimes it's printed in this blog as with three, mm-hmm. and so forth. And so this this is a type of pushback that she gets for her, you know from the police in, in her city
1: right so it is demonstrating that what is happening here is happening in other places across the country exactly Jeremy Kohler is a reporter with ProPublica he wrote the story with reporter Ryan Crawl of the Riverfront Times and with contributions from NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer the headline a detective sabotaged his own cases because he didn't like the prosecutor the police department did nothing to stop him Jeremy thank you for being here thanks
0: for having me Today's episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group.